what's the value prop in creating an app out of something that was freely accessible and you know there's a curation component that people pay for people pay to have stuff curated and then if you do that over a period of time there's an ongoing value prop and that might be all you need to create a micro subscription app and that's just kind of one of the the ones that comes to mind as as a low-hanging fruit this is james shramko James Shramko here. Welcome back to my podcast, jamesshramko.com. This is episode 973, and we're getting an app date from our friend, Jared Robinson. Welcome, Jared. Welcome. Thanks for having me back. So I called this the app date episode because you're into apps. You're all over the apps. The very first time I met you, you had more apps than most people have um, items in their pantry, right? You're, you're all over it. You're one of these young, savvy technically aware people like you're my tech sneezer i'd say like when you sneeze tech it catches on and later on it becomes mainstream and uh, we've had you on this podcast many times of course you run theappmatch.com so we'll be referencing that at certain times but you're my go-to guy for what's going on in the whole land of apps so i wanted to bring you on and see what we can uh, discuss today but i know there's one thing i really want to ask you about and that is you posted in our own community inside the James Ramco membership that you recently sold an app. And I think that would be a really interesting one because you've been charting that story from the beginning inside the membership. I think from when you and I interacted in the beginning, this thing was formed at some point there mm-hmm. and then you built it and then sold it. And I think there's some really good lessons in that, nonetheless being that it might be worthwhile having an app to build and sell. That could be a big yep. takeaway from yep. it. But I'd love you to go back to the beginning of that scenario. What caused you to create that particular app? Yeah, good, good. Uh, it's really on the top of my mind at the moment because the wire just cleared this morning for that sale. So it's, you know, it's really exciting. But oh, well, congratulations, mate. Well, that's a long process, isn't it, in itself? We can get you uh, a, a, a cheer for that one. Um, <laughs> Jared's big sale. When I first met you, I was selling this app as a standalone sale. It was 99 cents or something. And, you know, you're forever having to sell and direct traffic and you just never get the end of that kind of that process. And it was because of my interactions with you that it led me down the path of turning it into a subscription app. And really all it was, was it was an app for teachers that allowed them to track their attendance. So it was one audience, one solution, and once it became a subscription business in 2008, I started documenting it in your community and it really just kind of snowballed from there. I, I remember the first $8 of monthly recurring revenue it had. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, that's not going to change your life by any stretch, but these things compound. I remember you talking about the snowball analogy mm-hmm. um, many years ago. Yeah, like it starts off as a little snowflake at the top of the hill. And then it turns into a little snowball and then it gets bigger and bigger. And by the time it gets to the bottom of the mountain, that's a huge enough snowball it could take out a small village, right? Yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, this particular app just resonated with people organically. Like there was never any marketing kind of really done for it. And it just it grew and it grew. And eventually it made me think, wouldn't it be nice to go through a, that whole process of spinning it out to someone else? And I think the only way we could do that is because it had a recurring revenue element to it and it solved a problem. And that's, I think, you know, what I thank you for is that it was sellable. It wouldn't have been sellable if it was a one-time sale type thing. Well, I mean, you sold it one time, but I'm curious to know, firstly, how did you find the problem to solve? Because there's a big question you get. It's like, great, 
I want to get an app, but what problem do I solve? I guess scratching my own itch. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in your own audience. Typically, the people that you know might be listening to this because you were a teacher, right? Just to point out to yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. For anyone listening who doesn't know Jared's full story, and there's plenty of good case studies of you inside my community and also on this podcast. But you were a teacher. Yep. You were still teaching when we started <laughs> working together, which blew my mind because you're making all this money online and teaching. And I'm like, Jared, why are you still teaching? You're like, oh, I feel like I need to be a teacher. I'm like, (laughs) really teaching was getting in the way of you (laughs) really being able to help people, which we've proven correct, right? That assumption turned out to be correct. So you found the problem in the course of your natural life, right? You found this problem. The next big step is how realistic is it for people to say, well, I can have an app that solves this problem. Like straight away, people are like, Ooh. you know, like, For sure. okay, we're getting tech. And I think this sort of leads to one of the big leading stories in the news these days. I'm seeing this expression a lot, and that is no code. I'd love you to explain what this is and why it's so popular at the moment. Yeah, well, I, you've probably all come up with an idea for an app. And when you start going down that path, historically, is a maze. You know, how much is it going to cost? All these different terms and terminologies and things. But there's one sort of pattern that's been happening all along. And that is that apps can be built with no code platforms now. And what that really means is if you can point your mouse and read, you can build your own app. And I think you would remember how this sort of translated when you were building your own websites. Like I know the story of you and Excite Pro, was it? Yeah. And that was a no code software at the time yeah. for me because i was stuck on dreamweaver and front page i had no <laughs> just no chance i didn't know what i was doing yeah. <laughs> you know even though the software excite pro made things easy at the time then i get stuck at the part where you've got to put in server details and then ftp like push it was it file transfer protocol you're really pushing my yeah. limits here but I had to send the website from my computer up to the internet and so those things were all really difficult. Of course, the platform I'm using now, Click, is fully no code as a user. I don't have to touch a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's already on the internet. So you, you <laughs> could basically, um, you know, you click a button and your whole funnel is ready and your membership's ready and your products are ready. It's very, very easy to use. We've come a long way. But in the background, of course, there's been the whole app side of it. You know, apps, when I started doing apps, I remember hiring someone and paying a lot of money and And then the first update requirement, like as soon as the devices change or Apple says, hey, we need a different version of your app to be able to be current in the marketplace. I'm like, oh, okay, here we go. (laughs) It's just like constant headaches. And that's when I came to you and you helped me create the apps for my memberships, you know, which were running on the platforms they were at the time, which was a Frankenstein, if I want to say it politely, Mm -hmm. I glued together all the stuff because there was still no solution at that time to make it easy. When I started my membership in 2009, it was not easy. I had to put all this stuff together. And then over years, I changed platforms, changed platforms. Like right now, as we're recording this, I'm in the last bit of the migration of tipping all my members into my brand new platform, which is easy and simple and it's like what I wish I had when I started. And it's what all my clients are using these days for the most part because it's just the easiest possible way. But on the app side, that really was very, very difficult, just like websites were. It's getting easier and easier. Now, I want to tell you about this. I keep seeing an ad on my Instagram feed or whatever. 
there's some guy out there and he's just saying, look, you're crazy. If you're going to do a membership, whatever, you're crazy to be using Facebook. You should just have your own app and you could run memberships or whatever. I'm interested, is that the type of thing that people are able to actually do? Is it, is it as easy as the guy makes out? Well, I think it's another path, isn't it? Like people have the opportunity now, like they can easily spin up a membership platform and they can spin up a blog and a website. You can now spin up an app just by clicking a few buttons, selecting some templates and driving your audience to it. Now, I would not say that everyone should go that path because I don't think that that's great sound advice. Probably sounds good from a marketing perspective. Like Sounds great. I've seen the ads and I know who we're talking about, but I think it's a little bit more niche than that. And I think you know, there's still obviously super reasons why you would not go down that path, but there's a lot of good reasons why you would. And I think there are people listening here that are sitting on legacy content that's really packed in powerful and that they could repurpose quickly with a no-code app builder and they could turn it into its own product in itself. And then maybe that's a subscription product and then you end up in the same sort of path as me potentially with down the track. So it's a new opportunity and I think it's worth exploring. The way I see it is that I feel like it's probably really well suited in some use cases to have that light and easy version. What I've noticed with my own membership, this is a major reason why I've still got a membership is because most of my heavy users are still using desktop. Yeah. And I feel like it's absolutely, this, this is important. If you've got any kind of desktop application or desktop membership or internet thing, you absolutely need an app access to that. Now, luckily, my membership platform comes with app access, which is awesome and is imperative, right? You need push notifications. You need all the things we've talked about before. You need that stickiness. My membership users, a lot of them will still be using a desktop or a screen, and I want that more powerful grunt behind it, but I need them to be able to access it by that. Now, there'll be lots of use cases, and certainly it's a lot less effort, perhaps, for people just to click a few buttons, end up with their own app, their own branded app. Yeah, for sure. And somewhere to put their content. And if it's a light usage or even better, if it's content people can consume in their own time and there's no real in-depth app interaction, that could be a great use case for it. In the case of your sale here, what was it about your ability to go from one time to subscription that allowed it to work? Because some people say, oh, it's a subscription, I can't afford that or it doesn't solve a problem for me more than once. Do you think it was because it's an ongoing need? Yeah. If you can isolate some sort of ongoing need that your audience has, then it certainly warrants being able to create a micro subscription. Now, this is very different to what we typically would talk about maybe on this podcast of memberships that are, you know, multi hundred dollars per month or in that less sub hundred dollar range. This is a dollar ninety-nine per month micro subscription. This is what I'm talking about. The use case would be yep. if you have a And I had a $10 membership. Listeners will remember I had a $10 membership and it was very light. It was just a social wall and I was answering questions and I did it for a year or so and it was a really interesting case study for me. And that's a typical scenario that could probably very easily be solved on an app-only basis. Mm -hmm. But the key here is you've got to solve not just a problem, but you've got to solve an ongoing problem. And this is, you know, as I'm a huge advocate for subscription business, right? I love subscriptions. You've got to have an ongoing solution that you can offer the market that they're happy to continue with. And what Jared's doing, stacking the concept here of micro continuity or micro subscription. So it's very small amount, so small that there's pretty low friction. People look at it and they say, oh yeah, well, that's okay. That's about fair. 
I just got a, a notification that one of my subscriptions is changing price, right? I pay for something. I think it's with Apple mm-hmm. and I pay a little bit to be able to access all their plus features, right? Across my devices. And that's going up a little bit, but I look at it and I think, yeah, okay, that's, that's okay. Mm. That seems fair. Yeah. It's fair value exchange. So you solve an ongoing problem and as long as your amount is less than the value of the solution, and this, I'm very, very deliberate about my words here. If you solve an ongoing problem with a fee that is less than what the value is worth to the end user, then they may stay for a very long time. Jared, how long did people stay subscribed to this app? Well, the one that we recently sold was, it was extremely high. One of the reasons why it was so attractive is churn was like about 3%. And the reason is that when you start entering your attendance data into the app, it became a requirement. Like your data lived in that particular tool. So there was a mechanism by which it kept people engaged and, and paying forever. So there's a sunk cost for them. Absolutely. And is it using the Apple billing? Yeah, yes. So that's a, like a really solid billing source, right? And I, I talk about this because at the time of recording, PayPal have um, copped a lot of scorn from the public for modifying or updating their terms and conditions in a way that people didn't like. I'm not going to go too deep into it, right? <laughs> but it's caused that platform to be less popular. The other option out there that's very popular is Stripe. And the problem with that sometimes is that, you know, people attach a credit card, but the credit card often gets expired or people lose it or whatever they replace it. But with the Apple ecosystem, firstly, I think they're going to pretty much try and ask you to use their platform, if I understand this correctly. They do. Yep. Yep. And secondly, Pretty much everyone's got that, you know, just double click to approve or face ID. Like it's very, very easy for people to buy on the Apple platform. Seamless. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got funding attached to it in whatever way. So I imagine the rebilling failure would be lower on that billing platform. And you don't have the headache of needing to deal with that because that's what Apple do. It's part of the merchant facility. And sure, they take a percentage Fifteen percent. If you earn less than a million dollars a year via the App Store, if you're above that, congratulations, you're going to be getting thirty <laughs> percent. That's what they capture. Yeah. But really, when you take it away and look at it compared to, say, Stripe and other merchants, they take a percentage, and it's not as bad as they think for all those things to be removed from your yeah troubles. That's good. I mean, there's whole subscription services out there who charge a fee to follow up on failed billings and stuff. Like by the time you either add those back in or have someone in your team following up. You can see how that low friction environment is very easy. So just to summarize at the moment, we're talking about solving an ongoing problem. You use a no-code app, which you can access from theappmatch.com. Yep. You've got one, right? We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, yeah. And you build out this thing and it starts collecting money on the Apple platform for as long as possible. And you might be talking about a low price point, but that's okay as you're going to sort of demonstrate in this particular example. I don't know how much you can talk about, but you've always been generous with us inside our community. (laughs) You started off very small, a small amount with a small user base, which most people would just dismiss, right? But it ends up being able to pay for a car payment or rent or your grocery bills, right? That's the exciting part. And I like the analogy you spoke about a long time ago, which was that chocolate wheel kind of analogy where people can pick things on the, the product list of stuff that you have and not this, what's the alternative to the chocolate wheel? It's the like ascension the ascension model. model. Yeah, oh, that's, so. that's for anyone who hasn't caught up to this. Like I put a whole chapter in my book about this, uh, work less, make more, grab it on Amazon or free on my website, right? 
the Ascension model is where people start off with something cheap or free and then work your way up. And my way to destroy this is like if you're driving a Ferrari and then you go off to a new showroom that you've never been before and they say, listen, Jared, I want you to just start off with our bicycle <laughs> and then if you go well with that, we can, uh, you can then get our e-bike and after that we'll let you into a little Fiat and then – in a couple of years' time, if you're lucky, we'll, we might let you buy a Ferrari. It's like, no, the Ferrari buyer wants a Ferrari today, yep. right now. Let them have the right product today. Yep. Don't force them through these delayed low-ticket hoops that repel the right customers. And the evidence of that in my own world is the top-tier coaching program, mentoring program that I have now, two-thirds of those people came directly into that program and didn't go into the programs before it. One-third did. So it's still good to have pathways or the chocolate wheel, right? And mm -hmm. make it easy for people to sample all your stuff. But people want what they want now. So you've added this as another thing that people can buy directly yep. or that you can refer from your other suite of tools, your portfolio, I suppose, of programs. 100%. And that's where I think these can fit into the audience of people who are listening. Well, it might explain why you didn't need sales funnels. Exactly. And to dedicate pathway just for this program because you just have to add more doors to it from your other programs. Yep, yep. And like you've alluded to, we have a suite of other apps because I take these concept to max, but people listening probably have an app in their wheelhouse that they could leverage and that could become a pathway to some of their more high ticket stuff. You know, I think about... You know, one of the people that has used this really successfully is the Merrymaker Sisters. You know, they obviously had a library of recipes that they had on their blog. Now, they gave these things away for free. So you're like, why would anyone pay for that? Like, what, what's the value prop in creating an app out of something that was freely accessible? And, you know, there's a curation component that people pay for. People pay to have stuff curated. And then if you do that over a period of time, there's an ongoing value prop. And that might be all you need to create a micro subscription app. And that's just kind of one of the ones that comes to mind as, as a low-hanging fruit. It's a great example of what we're talking about, a fantastic use case, something that um, and people continue needing to eat, right? So <laughs> they did, yeah. Recipes are, and I know actually from having helped business owners who have food-related market things, the recipe creation meal planning and that that's always the really hard one for them to create and the one that people value the most so i already knew that mm -hmm. but it sounds like they've discovered that and in fact i did help them for a while as well so it's, it's really good to get involved with that and i think what you've done there is highlight that you might already have the thing yep. that could become an app that's the bottom line so you take this you've already identified a problem you now hopefully the big aha moment from this podcast i'd like to create is that someone listen to this, is thinking, I've got this thing and maybe my customers need it ongoing and maybe it wouldn't be that hard to just go and build a no-code app, just click a few buttons on the appmatch.com. How much would they pay for this? Have you got a rough ballpark? Well, the pricing's all up on the site of the app match. You can go there. But it's not 50 grand or 20 grand or 10 grand. No, no. You can literally get started right now with your own no-code build, have a native iOS Android on the store, all the things that, you know, typically people would want starting at $69 a month. Right. And that sounds absurd, but this is because of the no code kind of stack. We've got the template, we've got all the plug and play elements and all you need is to bring your 
content and your expertise, wrap it in an app, push it out to your audience and go from there. And if you didn't want to do it yourself, even though you certainly can, then we can do that part for you and build it and take your content and package it up. Like a concierge service. Yeah, valet. I think we call it valet service, but yep, done for you. Love it. Well, that is, I mean, that's how things go. I noticed on your back wall there, Jared, a few albums, some LPs. <laughs> when I was a kid, that's how we played music. Yep. I'd ride up to the music store on my BMX bike and I would uh, order a, a single or an LP. I remember hearing on the radio this band had this song, uh, I think it was called Mean to Me, and the, the band was called Crowded House mm-hmm. and they were brand new. And no one had ever heard of them. And I heard this song and I thought, this sounds great. And I went up and I ordered the first Mean to Me single from this record store. They'd never heard of the uh, artists either. And then the, it came in and, and I got it and I rode up, grabbed it, and I took it home and I played it and played it and played it. Now my three-year-old daughter can walk up and tell Siri to play whatever she wants. Like, hey, Siri, play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. Actually, it's doing that right now, so I have to turn that (laughs) off. That's where we're at, right? Technology changes, and it's phenomenal. So the big thing is, you know, I would say this. Even in the time that you and I have been doing podcast episodes on my show, there's been a huge transformation in terms of how easy it is and how little it costs. Yeah, yeah. So it's great to see that evolution, yeah. When we first started this journey, we obviously were building apps for people and we still do, but we would do most of those with some sort of coding. We still had to code. We just did that part for you. So that was kind of service-like, but it was still complex and required plugins and this and that. That's abstracted away now, meaning that you don't need any of that. And if you can point a mouse and read, you can build an app. Like You could build a recipe app for your audience. You could take content that you're sitting on that solves a real problem and, you know, turn that into an app. And that's part of that chocolate wheel. It's really as simple as that now. You mentioned recipes. I want to press you a little bit here. What other types of apps have you seen moving through the business there? Yeah. Like give us some inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen lots of things. Yeah. For sure. So we've had people who are experts in dry needling. Okay. I've worked in that area too. Yeah. They've taken that content, which they would typically have had in video form and on their blog and their podcast, and they turn that into a a library or a place where they could go to see some content, like kind of like a reference book, if that makes sense. Yep. I also, obviously, I deal with PE teachers. Mm-hmm. I packaged up all the games that I used to teach in the classroom, PE games, into another library of material. And this is this was a PDF. Typically. Now, how boring is that? Like reading through a PDF, trying to remember and learn games. Well, I just categorize. It's only one level less boring than the um, Word docs or Excel spreadsheets yeah, exactly. that, that so, some people still send me via email, you, which is yeah. amazing that they're still doing that in 2022. Yep. Sleep Expert obviously took their sleep-related content, packaged that up into mini videos, and it almost becomes like a mini course in app form. Nice. And if you have all those features that apps have, like push notifications and material that comes back in, then you create this kind of space for people to re-engage with you. Birthing material, like anything that you think your audience would value as content, you could turn into to app form. And then we get down that track of, well, what are the most obvious apps? Fitness apps. They've got lots of people teaching fitness stuff. Maybe they're using YouTube and Instagram and they're posting that kind of content 
in those mediums, why don't I just repost it in app form and turn it into a subscription? Some people say this one, Jared, and I've got an answer on it too, but I'd love to know yours. They say, but Jared, if it's free, you know, would people still pay for it in a different format? My evidence is they would. They pay for the curation, the kind of ease of use. And again, we are talking about you know, these low micro kind of transactions. And like you alluded to, if every single month a $1.99 goes out and you think, hang on, I've got all of this nicely curated content for me, you know what? Maybe this is absolutely reaching some sort of value prop. Uh, I think the answer is yes. Yeah, it's like why I would ride up on uh, my BMX bike to buy a record when I could hear it on the radio, maybe, <laughs> if they play it. <laughs> it's the curation. Yep. It's the focus. It's that little icon on the homepage of the screen that they can refer to very easily. Like, for example, for my daughter, sometimes I'll she'll watch something that might be on an app like um, Netflix, for example, or ABC. But other times, the thing she wants is not available. Like, let's say in Australia, the rights have been purchased by someone and not used. Mm -hmm. So we have to go to YouTube and now it becomes murky, right? There's ads, there's interruptions, there's the possibility to go a million different directions, which you don't want with a kid, right? And just for emphasis, she might get like 30 minutes or an hour a day. We're not talking extreme here, but the convenience just goes out the window as soon as you start going to those big platforms. So the contained environment is very valuable. Putting a container around your content, people will pay for that. I, I know that. I give my book away on my website as a PDF, and I'll also sell it on Amazon as a book. Yeah. Or you can buy it as a Kindle. Yep. Or you can buy it as an audio. People will still pay for that because they're getting it in the place they want it mm-hmm. in the way they want it. Yeah. That's important. So maybe people want to buy your stuff in an app, but it's not there because you didn't know about this. But today that changes because now you know that you don't have to be a programmer. You don't even have to hire a programmer to get this done. You don't have to pay 50, 20, 10 or $5,000 or even $1,000 anymore. And you don't even have to create a single new thing because you probably already have it. That, that's the big takeaway from this episode, I think. Yep. And if you're lucky, you've got a recurring, like an ongoing problem that could build you a subscription business. And in this case, Jared, you did that and someone saw value in it and you got acquired. Like, how did that go about? Did someone knock on your door or did you go out and... <laughs> and list it for sale. Well, I I just got curious by the whole idea of, well, would someone pay for this as a solution? And I think, you know, evidence was they probably would. Recurring customers, good growth, et cetera. And I wanted to go through that process. I found the website microacquire.com. And that's a two-sided marketplace. You've got buyers and sellers, and you can list your startup. You have to show evidence of its financials and all that sort of stuff. Then people match. The good part about this is there's no fees in that marketplace. Buyers pay to be able to view. It's typically the other way around on other marketplaces where they try and sting. Sellers pay a commission. Yeah, things like that. So they've changed the model a little bit and it means that um, you've got serious buyers because you can only see listings if you are willing to pay an annual subscription for it. And that just basically automated the process. You know, we had people reach out to us and... We had to go through a long, took two months back and forth and, you know, (laughs) all that sort of stuff, but it was done. And now it goes, wow, I just need to do that with other apps that we have because we've still got more. And yeah, there's, there's scope here for people to do the same. This is where my mind starts ticking over. Maybe once you've done the process once, you know, you make a checklist 
and it just becomes easier. The second time doing anything becomes easier. Mm-hmm. It's hard to ride a bicycle the first time, but uh, later on it's very easy. Surfing's still hard <laughs> no matter where you're at. <laughs> uh, but, but in any case, the same for building this thing. You said before you go and you do lots of this stuff. I can vouch for that. You're prolific, right? Could somebody make a whole business out of this where they just go and find people with a problem that needs solving and solve it for them and then keep building up these things, being partners in it, JVs, rev shares, um, doing it as a service? Yeah. Yep. 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 So I, I like I obviously I'm on social media. I see a lot of these TikTok people and Instagram people that have these vast followings producing content. A lot of those people, as you know, that could be fleeting. Mm. You know, what are they actually building as a vessel to capture that value? And that could be a good kind of thing for them. And well, what about shops, gyms, retail stores, all of them, um, wholesalers? Yeah, they could, they could all have an app. I feel like I've got a friend who sells something like this, and he's mainly selling it as a business opportunity. Yep, that's what sort of led me to thinking. Well, this sounds like what they're actually doing. Yeah, well, we have one person that's used the App Match platform for their cafe. Because one of the no-code features is a loyalty card built into the app. Oh, brilliant. So it's perfect for a little retail store. Yep. And if you happen to have a retail store and you use the push notification features, someone could walk past your venue in proximity of it and get a a push notification because they're near it with some sort of coupon offer. So there's... It's not just for our online audience that we typically engage with. If you've got like a bricks and mortar, then there's scope for that too. And if you want to deal with the bricks and mortar, then you could have a killer business model right there. And the app can be free too, right? Well, I think that is also a really great use case. It doesn't have to be a subscription. You could have your app free and then they find a paywall and they get subscribed to it. You could have your app as a one-off payment, $1.99, $2.99, whatever you thought the value prop was. Or you have it completely free and you simply capture the user registration give away some epic value, but then in your marketing CRM, you've you know got some other sort of qualification process going on. I love it. So just in summary, Jared, we've talked about that you can build your own apps. You can be no code. You can find recurring problems to solve. You can have subscriptions. You could just make it free. You could use it to build your database. You probably already have the content. It works for just about any market. There'll be some use cases that are much stronger than others. What would you say the biggest takeaway is for you from this whole process because you're so deep in knowledge in the whole app world and you're seeing it get commoditized, you've harnessed that change in technology still to your benefit, which you're just so good at. Instead of being scared or annoyed that it's gotten cheaper and easier, you're just basically just opening up the floodgates for people to come in now if they want to without having to do high ticket what would you say is the biggest soundbite you would like a listener to be aware of? The value of small micro transactions and how much they can stack up. And people might dismiss them, you know, like, oh, I sell a thousand dollar product. Why would I bother, you know, with a 99 cent app? But we're talking about an ecosystem that has billions of people with no need to put their credit card in, simply use their face on Apple and Google and they can make a purchase with you. And it's probably quite smart to be able to be involved in that ecosystem and, and grow with uh, the demand. Incredible. Yeah, so no matter what you're doing, if you're online, you need to have the ability to have 
app access. I think that's a big lesson that I want to share as well. So this is episode 973. I've been chatting with Jared Robinson from theappmatch.com. Jared and I have been working together on on this sort of stuff for a long time now. It's been such a a pleasure. You're a brilliant young man. You always inspire me, Jared. I get (laughs) lots of ideas. I appreciate our relationship and I and also how generous you are sharing inside my community but also on this podcast and uh, I don't even need to wish you well you're already just creating your own success and now you've opened up the option for other people to do the same stuff and I just want to thank you and we'll put up the show notes at jamesramco.com where you see episode 973 thank you so much for listening thanks for coming along Jared yeah talk soon see ya see ya this is James Shramko. 